Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cocciolino. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Everything Imaginable. And I am your host, Gary Cocciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank the contributors to my show, who are my executive producers, Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing, Protection Magic, Curses and Crossings and Spells, and Hoodoo Justice Magic, senior editor, Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, just go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Coot Blackson. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Um... So yeah, I was just checking out some of your videos, and uh, it looks like um, you are sort of trying to help people find their, their true um, I don't know, purpose in life. Would that be uh, accurate? Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. That's what I do. I help people try to connect with who they really are, because I really believe that when we connect with who we are, we connect with a deeper knowing. And then we're able to tap into our authentic purpose and our true purpose. When we're not in touch with who we really are, who we authentically are, then many times what we think our purpose is, is uh, a projection of what we think our purpose is. It's not necessarily our true authentic purpose. And sometimes we reach for purposes that we think we should be doing based on who we think we are. We, we reach for purposes and based on what society's told us, what parents have told us, what families told us, what, what people around us have told what we've been conditioned into believing. And so uh, ultimately, my purpose is to help people connect with who they are and as a result, live their authentic purpose in the world from that deeper place. Um, so how do you start deprogramming all that conditioning? Yeah. You know, when we're born, here's the thing, we're born free. All of us as human beings, as children, we are born free. I think if you look into a child's eyes, <clears throat> if you look into a child, uh, when a child is born, when a child is born, there's uh, an essence, there's a light, there is a freedom, there is a beauty, there is a wholeness, there is a perfection. When a child is born, you look into a child's eyes, there's a purity. They're in touch with light. They're in touch with the divine. They're not conditioned. So we all have that experience as we're birthed into this human existence. <clears throat> but as children, you know, a child will jump on the table and sing and shout and scream and dance and run around naked. It doesn't care if I'm not fat. If I'm fat, it doesn't care if I can't sing. It's just being itself, life expressing through a child. And yet, when we're born into this human three-dimensional domain of reality, of existence, uh, we're born into a framework, a framework of uh, a framework that has been passed down to us from generations, from parents, from uh, genealogy, from grandparents, 
culture, religion, tradition, and we're born into a framework that begins to, you could say, condition us into being some version of, you know, what's in what we what we what we're told we should be. And so, uh, when we're born as children, we we're born into this environment where we meet our parents, and our parents that are also in the framework of conditioning and they're doing the best that they can do based on their childhood, based on their programming, based on their parents and their wounds and their traumas and their life and their human experience and everything that we go through. And as human beings, no matter, no matter who we are, we all face or born into some level of, shall we say, dysfunction. We all face some level of trauma. You know, maybe dad wasn't around, mom wasn't around, mental illness, drug abuse, sexual, mental, emotional, physical abuse. Maybe there was neglect. Maybe there was abandonment. Maybe there was divorce. There was fighting. And so on some level as children, these sensitive beings that we are in touch with light, um, we're born into this environment. And two things happen in terms of first, how we get programmed. I think it's important that we understand how that process happens. The first thing that happens is is because we're born into this this framework and environment what we start doing often unconsciously is we begin to shut down disconnect and not feel uh, as a way to survive and protect ourselves from the pain of our environment shut down disconnect not feel uh, and so we begin to suppress our feelings and our emotions and we begin to over time suppress 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 and those unfelt, unprocessed, unexpressed feelings and emotions that we've learned to bury as a mechanism to function and survive begin to compound and layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer gets, gets shall we say, compounded and carried and our true light, our true magnificence, our true purpose, our authentic nature often uh, gets just hidden underneath the layers of conditioning, the layers of unfelt emotion and feeling, anger, pain, fear, shame, hurt, sadness, guilt, you know, you fill in the blank. And then, so that's the first thing that starts happening. It begins to disconnect us from our true essence. And the second thing is we slowly, you know, we're just being who we're being and maybe we're emotional. As a boy, maybe dad says, hey, boys don't cry. So we learn to shut down that part of ourselves, disconnect from that part of ourselves. Maybe we're told goals should be a certain way. And so before you know it, we learn to contort ourselves. We learn to uh, manipulate ourselves into a certain shape, into a certain way of being, into a certain persona or personality. We learn to be who we think we need to be in order to fit in, get love, be approved, be validated. And so we start to contort ourselves into a certain shape, a certain way of being. We start to develop a way of being. We start to develop a way of speaking. We start to develop a way of acting. We start to develop all sorts of roles, masks, and personas as a mechanism to get love, validation, and approval. And before you know it, we disconnect from who we are. We betray who we are. We negotiate parts of ourselves. We contort ourselves into a certain shape to avoid pain, to get love, validation, and approval. And the shape of what we've become, the shape of who we've become, the shape of what we have contorted ourselves into to survive is, and then we, we, it gets reinforced through experiences and parents and those around us, we end up identifying with that uh, persona thinking that that person that we've been conditioned into being is who we really are. And so we have to start asking ourselves the question is, 
is, and this is really what I do in my work, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's one-on-twenty, intensive seminars, whether it's in a large group, really what I do through processes, through uh, um, exercises, through transformational environments and spaces in the form of events and seminars is I really get people to uh, become aware of their conditioning because the degree to which we are conditioned is the degree to which we're really not free. And the degree to which we're conditioned and stuck in patterns is the degree to which we actually don't have free will to choose. We're often just unconsciously running the programming of our past, the programming of our childhood, the programming of our pain, the programming of generations that have been passed down to us. And we, we don't have access to the free response, the free choice. And so uh, what I really do is, is I really help people become first aware. So awareness is the first key. Uh, we have to start becoming aware that we're conditioned because many times we don't think we're conditioned. We think that who we are is who we really are. And is it really? And so I ask the people to, to kind of re- really look at themselves and see who am I really? Is, is this what I believe? You know, we have to start question, questioning ourselves. Many times we don't question ourselves because, because that begins to um, go at the very source of our identity, which we feel we are. And it can be scary to question our identity, the very essence, the very sense of who we believe ourselves to be, because that is a form of, it feels like a form of death, shall we say. And so... Uh, for me, first step is question. Question what you believe, question who you are, question what you feel, question your thoughts, question your stories, question the idea, the concept of, who, of, of what you are. Like, is this, is this what I really believe? Or is it just because my parents told me? Is this what I really feel? Is it just because my parents conditioned me? Is this religion what I really am? Is it just because I was born into it? And so that's a place to start. And so we have to start becoming aware. And I think the more we can start becoming aware moment to moment to moment in our daily reality as well, to start becoming aware of our habits, to start becoming aware of our responses, to start becoming aware of the things that piss us off, upset us, trigger us, you know, rub us the wrong way. Uh, the people that tend to, that we tend to judge. Uh, and if we can start bringing attention and awareness, conscious awareness to those places and those parts of ourselves that can begin the process to show us where we've been conditioned, where we're stuck. The, the other thing I would say, <clears throat> where people can start to uncondition themselves, so realize that you've been conditioned first step, awareness, step number two, the willingness to feel some of the feelings that you suppress, that not feeling them keep you stuck in a certain pattern, way of being disconnected from parts of yourself. Uh, the other thing is, I think, that keeps us stuck in a pattern of conditioning uh, are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. As human beings, we're constantly lying to ourselves, not telling the truth to ourselves, BSing ourselves. We lie to ourselves. We stay in relationships that we know aren't right because it's safe and it's comfortable. We stay in these relationships because we're guilty. We stay in these relationships out of, you know, familiarity. We stay in these relationships because... We're afraid of the unknown. Maybe we're afraid that we won't find love again. Or what will people think? And deep in our hearts, we know that we're not in love anymore. We know that it's not aligned. We work jobs that we hate. We 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 work jobs that we hate just simply to survive. And we end up wasting 10, 15, 20 years of our life. And so in many ways, we lie to ourselves about who we are, what we feel, what we really want, what we're here to do. And so one of the first steps that people can also 
practice, I would say, as a beginning, if the, if you're wondering, where do I start to make a shift? Where do I start to uncondition myself? Is really look at what lies are you telling yourself? That's the question number one. Really start investigating. Ask yourself, what lies am I telling myself? What am I not being honest about in terms of who I am and what I feel and what I want? What lies am I telling myself? Number two, what am I pretending to not know? What am I pretending to not know? And in many ways, we play a game that keeps us stuck in the unconsciousness of our conditioning. We play a game of, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm confused. When, when deep down we do know, sometimes it's scary to get in touch with the truth. Sometimes it's scary to get in touch with our knowing. Because there's the fear of if I really tell myself the truth about how I feel about this relationship, if I really tell myself the truth about how I feel about this situation, if I really tell myself the truth about how I feel about my job, oh shit, what, what will I, I'm going to have to do something about it. So the self-protective mechanism that we have as human beings is to not tell ourselves the truth so that we can keep, continue living what we're living, which is less than, but ultimately ends up painful because a part of us that knows there's, there's parts of us that aren't being expressed. And so... What am I pretending to not know? The third thing is really looking at and feeling. This is a feeling thing, really sitting with, um, I would say, what, what, what is the pain? What is the cost of lying to myself? For those that might be wondering, well, how do I know if I'm lying to myself? If I'm, if I'm lying to myself, how do I know if I'm lying to myself? One of the ways that you can know that you're lying to yourself is really just look at, <clears throat> look at your life and how you know is you'll feel pain. Many times what we do as human beings is we suppress the pain. We drug it away, we sex it away, we drink it away, we shop it away, we social media away to distract ourselves from feeling the pain. But I like to say, don't distract yourself from feeling the pain. Acknowledge the pain. Pain is your friend. Pain is feedback. Pain is often a sign that some part of you is not in alignment. Pain is a sign that some part of you is not telling the truth. Pain is a sign that some part of you is betraying yourself or not living your authentic nature. Pain is feedback. Pain is a blessing. If you use the pain as a feedback mechanism to recalibrate and bring yourself back, pain can guide you when you are off, when you are not on, when you are not telling yourself the authentic truth about what you really feel. And so if we don't tell ourselves the truth, the pain will often manifest as some physical ailment. The pain will often manifest as some dis-ease. The pain will often manifest as just things not flowing in your life. The pain will often manifest as breakdowns in your life. The pain will sometimes manifest as the people you attract into your life uh, will, will, will reflect to you the anger, the resentment, the guilt, the shame, the pain that you're not really acknowledging. And so uh, the third thing is really sit with what is it costing me? Feel, basically, I'm saying feel the pain. Be still, don't run, and feel the pain. And use the pain as a guidepost to say, where am I not in alignment? Where am I not telling the truth? And then make choices from there. Even if you don't, so when I say tell the truth, even if you don't take action on what you know, even if you don't end the relationship, even if you don't leave a job, if, you know, sometimes it's too scary. So sometimes you just have to surrender to, you know what? This is what I'm feeling. I'm in a relationship, but I know it's not working, and I know I'm not in love anymore. And just, just give yourself permission to tell the truth, even without doing something about it. You just feel, even without doing something about it. And so that's a place that people can start. Hope that's helpful. Oh, very helpful. Um, one of the things I, like, I think, um, 
you know, the easiest way for me to be myself is almost simply not to want anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that is that a solution? Just like to, to eliminate desire completely? Not want anything. So does that? What I guess we'd have to clarify what that means. You know, is it like not want to drink water, not want to eat food, not want to, uh, I, you know, uh, I, I, so I would say, because that desire, I'm going to play, I'm going to kind of come at it from a different angle. I think the desire to not want anything uh, can also be a deeper, another level of wanting that can keep us stuck in the desire to have no desire, which can also be tricky, you know, to, the desire to have no desire mm -hmm. can also be tricky. And so as human beings, you know, we're not perfect human beings. We're not perfect. The, the goal is not to be perfect as human beings. To me, the, the, the issue is more our relationship with stuff, our relationship with things, our relationship with than the thing itself. Um, and so I think if we can observe ourselves and first look at the motivation look at the motivation no judgment wanting is good it's because it's really it's more the attachment to wanting things that's more of the issue than the thing itself it's the attachment we get so attached like i gotta have it i gotta have it i gotta have it and then looking at the motivation i got to have the thing like i need that car so i can feel good about myself I need to lose weight so that I can be considered and perceived lovable and sexy and, and, and desirable so that I can boost my self-worth. Uh, I want to achieve that million dollars in order that I can be happy. So we have to also look at the motivation for why we're doing what we're doing. Because a motivation that is driven by trying to seek some happiness outside, which is always from the ego, if I can then get that thing, then I'm going to be happy, is only going to lead down a pathway of suffering, and it will never be truly fulfilling. Because what we're really seeking is probably not that really thing, it's not that thing. Many times the things that we think we want is not really what we really want, it's just what we thought we wanted based on who we thought we were. And, and as a result, our goals and desires many times are really projections, projections of unmet uh, wounds, unmet desires, unmet needs growing up. For instance, maybe mom wasn't around, dad wasn't around, you felt abandoned, you felt not enough, you were bullied, you felt unworthy, you felt unlovable because dad didn't treat you a certain way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, growing up. And so from that place of wounding, many times we want certain things in the world and we project that goal into the world as a way to try to get that thing so that we can overcome and compensate for what we what we didn't get or, or who we don't believe ourselves to be. It's a never-ending path. So it's more important, I think, not so much the thing itself, but to look at what is the drive? Why? So it's really great when you want something, it's to, just look at, it's to look at, well, why do I want this? Why do I want this car? Why do I want this thing? Why? And keep going, why, 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 why? And, and I think that that can be uh, some a, a really simple but interesting exercise because many times you might say, wow, I just... I just want to be loved. I just want to be validated. I just want to be seen a certain way. But I think if you're, if, if for instance, there's a desire inside of your heart to, let's say, you want to write a book 
and you want the book to reach people. And if that desire, check, what, what, why, why? If that, if that's coming from a place of love and service and an authentic impulse in your heart, an authentic impulse of your, in your soul to express that, then that's different. You're not wanting that in order to get something. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the expression of your essence, your being, love, that's wanting to express that to share and serve. And then there's no real attachment in that scenario with the result or what will happen on the other side. Bestseller, no bestseller. Someone loves it. Someone doesn't like it. You're just, there's an impulse to express. And I think when we come from that place of loving, of wholeness and completion and following the impulse to express, it shifts our relationship with, you know, what we want and why. And so look at the motivation and see why, you know, see why. And what's driving you? So what do people do when there's a conflict? When you know that who you really are and what you really want is not going to be what's going to be able to sustain you in life. When there's a conflict between who you are and what you want? Well, no, no. Like, like, like say I'm, I'm working. This, I'll use my own example. Yeah. I, like I was working like a, a really crap, not a crappy job. I I, I had a job, um, and I was making more than mm-hmm. enough money to survive off of it. Um, however, you know what I really wanted to do was something that wasn't realistic. Like, um, like say for example, find Bigfoot. You know, I'm not going to be able to eat and find a place to live if I ma- try to make a career out of looking for Bigfoot. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying you want to find Bigfoot. Yeah. The question is, why do you want to find Bigfoot? Because I'm curious. I believe he's out there. Or it's out okay. there. Okay, Okay. so let's say Bigfoot's out there. Fair enough. And so, sure, you can find Bigfoot, but I don't know if that's going to make you money to survive and function. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, and, and so, but they're two different things. You can go find Bigfoot and be broke, but here's the thing. Here's what I would say. Making money is a function of adding value. Making money is a function of adding value. You add value when you solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge. So if finding Bigfoot is fun for you, but you have to look at, does that add value to the world? I don't know. I don't think so, at least in this moment. Maybe once you find him, people will find value in Bigfoot. But... But truly to make money requires adding value. Adding value means being of service. And you're of service and adding value when you solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge. So finding Bigfoot, I hate to say it, is really about you. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with it, but it's about you. It's not necessarily adding value to anyone's life. It's not necessarily adding value to humanity. It's not necessarily solving someone's pain, problem, challenge, or dilemma in the world. You know, for, so for instance... Um, Oprah, adding value, you know, massage therapist, adding value, Uh, love him or hate him, Elon Musk, adding value, Jeff Bezos, adding value. I just used Amazon Prime the other day to get a book before I travel. There is a value there that is scalable in a certain way. So let me back up and look at this, okay? Let me back up and just say, in terms of purpose, because I think you're tapping into this as well. To me... Yes, purpose, living a life of purpose. Some people say, well, I want to live my life of purpose. I want to go find Bigfoot. I want to, 
Fair enough. You can find Bigfoot, but it doesn't mean you'll make money. In terms of purpose, I tell people this. Stop looking for your purpose. Stop looking for your purpose and instead move in the direction. Now, I'm going I'm to give you some practical tools that I think might help you, especially in, the, in terms of defining Bigfoot conflict. Move in the direction of what lights you up. Move in the direction of what makes you come alive. Move in the direction of what you love. Go in the direction of really what lights you up, makes you come alive, and, and turns you on. And, and almost like, what would you do for free? That's one consideration. But that's not enough to, to, to make money. But I will say, if you move in a direction of what you love, and you take a step, this is for people that have no clue what their purpose is, but you take a step, and you take another step, life will begin revealing the next step to you in the process of living. Life begins revealing itself to you each step of the way. You might find that you end up living into your purpose. But the first thing is, go in the direction of what you genuinely love, passionate about, lights you up, lights your soul on fire. See, here's the thing, okay? I love Formula One car racing, okay? Hmm. I love it. I love car racing, but I'm not going to be a car racing driver in this lifetime. It's wow. not... It's, it is not my path, it's not my, why not? Lewis Hamilton, who's a Formula One, number one car racing driver, has been doing this stuff since he was six years old. I mean, let, let's get real. Here's why. Because yes, go in the direction of what you love, but you also, if you want to make money, if you don't want to make money, go in the direction of what you love and just do what you love and go chase Bigfoot, go do whatever it is. That doesn't mean you're going to make money. Nothing wrong with that. No judgment, nothing wrong with it. But if you're saying, well, how am I going to survive, which is an issue that many people might have, you have to look at the second thing. The second piece of the equation is what specific tangible skills do I have? What specific tangible skill sets do I have? You have to have a specific skill in order to make money. Without a specific skill, you're not really adding, going to be able to add value. So look at your life, look at your experience, Look at your successes and failures. Look at your vocation. Look at your education. Look at your training. That will show you often where you might have some skill set. So some of those jobs that you hate, some of those jobs that you don't love, some of those jobs that you're doing, maybe you're an accountant, maybe you're you know, cleaning trash, maybe you're sweeping the floor, maybe you're a barista, maybe you're you know, an assistant. I guarantee you all of those jobs that you may not love that may not be the fullest expression of what lights you up on your purpose, if you've done them, here's what I would say, there's probably a reason, and there's probably something that you can learn in every single job. There's probably something that you can learn in all of those situations that you can take and use that will help you in the fulfillment of what your actual purpose is. Most people, because they hate that small job, they judge that job, and they say, this is not my passion, this is not why I'm here, they don't give it 100%. I'm saying if you're working a job that you don't love, Give that job 100% and do it with great excellence. If you do it with great excellence, and then you also look for what, you're, what you need to learn from that job, but you do it with excellence, do it with excellence, do it with excellence, you begin to develop the skill, you begin to respect yourself, develop the skill, and as a result, I believe you'll earn the right for the next level. The universe opens the next level when you do the current level you're at with great excellence. So second thing is you've got you to look for it. What skill do I have? That's the second thing. A lot of people are just going, yeah, just follow my passion, but they've got no skill. What's the skill? If you don't have a specific skill, I would invite people, go learn the skill, go study the skill, go to college, 
go to university, go to vocational training, find a mentor. You know, YouTube, you can learn, you can almost learn to fly a plane on YouTube now. You can learn to have to give birth on YouTube now. So there's no real excuses in terms of learning skills. So you need skill. The third was what I was speaking to. Ask yourself, what, unique, what problems am I uniquely able to solve for people around me? Money is a result of adding value when you're being of service. You're being of service when you add value by solving someone's pain, problem, or challenge. So you have to look at what unique skill, what unique thing am I able to do that is able to solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge? Because people will want to pay, and money is the exchange of payment for the ability to solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge. So many times we think we're adding value, but we're really not adding value because we're not really truly solving someone's pain, problem, or challenge. And so if we're not really being of service, then what are we doing? We're just living for ourselves. And that's fine, but probably that will keep people on, that will keep you on a survival level. The third, fourth thing I would say in terms of guiding people around purpose is look at what group of people do you feel an affinity to, a connection to? Is it the elderly? Is it the homeless? Is it the single mothers? Is it teenage kids? Because likely maybe your soul has a contract or soul agreement with that group of people, and that might be the group of people that you can serve. I tell people, stop waiting for some big life purpose. Many people are waiting for a big life purpose, for God to hand them the most important thing because they want to be a revolution on the planet. But you know what? They're not really responding to the need in the moment. Look around. So if you're wondering, how can I live my life purpose? Look around and see who in your life needs serving. Who in, on your street needs serving? Start where you are with what you have exactly as you are. When you do that, then life gives you more. When you're able to handle one, life gives you two. When you handle two, life gives you four. When you handle four, life gives you 16. But many times we, wanna, we, want, we wanna do 100, but we haven't managed to do 10. So we have to do our part where we are. Then we can be prepared mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically for the next level. So I'm not saying don't chase your passion, but you might need to see how you can uh, package your passion and market your passion in a way that adds some specific tangible value to people. For instance, I'm not gonna be a race car driver because I don't, I don't have the skill. That's the reality. Uh, could I develop the skill to be as good as Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, you know, Botas, Sergio Perez? It's gonna take me 30, 30, 25, 30 years to be that good. So I have to ask myself, do I wanna spend my, the rest of the next 25 years of my life developing the skill to be that good? Mm, probably not, because it really doesn't feel like that's what I was put on the planet to do. So we have to be intelligent at the same time, wise at the same time. But many times people follow, for instance, oh, could I'm following my passion as a healer. Yes, but the way you're packaging it isn't clear. The way you're marketing it isn't clear. You're, the way you're communicating the value proposition of what you do, people don't understand how your energy work is going to help them and what exactly is going to help them with. And so the more you can understand what problem am I solving, that can be a value to someone to solve their pain, problem, or challenge. And the more you can communicate that in a package that is delivered in a way that people want, then you have the ability to interface to make money so you're not just in survival. You know, if I said to people, I have a seminar, it's 4,000 days long, and, you, and you're going to have to uh, uh, 
uh, unplugged from your life for 4,000 days, you know, I don't know that many people are going to sign up for that, right? So you have to package things in a way that people can digest and understand the value. That's what I would say. Hope that helps. Interesting. Um, so what type of car do you drive? Um, I'm not sure how that's relevant in this moment. But, because you wanted to be a Formula uh, One driver. I was wondering if you, oh, had, like, if you have like a, um, you know, a Ferrari or... No, I, do, I drive an Audi. <laughs> well, Audis are pretty fast, actually. Uh, yes, Audis are a great car. <laughs> um, it, it sounds like, though... Um, I mean, there are, like, like the Formula One thing, you're saying like, it would take you like 30 years to get, get, get that good. But there are sometimes people that are just naturally gifted. Like, for example, like Mozart. Like, I mean, he was like born able to play piano. I, I mean, maybe you have a different example. I can't speak to that. Let's mm -hmm. put it this way. Yeah, but let, let's just say, yes, you might have some naturally gifted people. But I would also, that maybe come in that way. Maybe, like, let's just say, let's go out there. Maybe it's a past life. Maybe, yes. But I would, so that is a possibility, but I would say that they also, you know, Michael Jackson, that's an example I know, naturally gifted. Yeah, Michael Jackson, dancing at yeah. age five. But people don't realize his father made him dance 20 hours a day, 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day. The level of training, yes, he had a gift, but he had to develop that gift. He had the gift, but he put in the work to fulfill his ability to deliver and execute on that gift. Tiger Woods, oh, naturally gifted. Yeah, but Tiger Woods was swinging at a golf club since he was three years old, practicing five, six, seven, eight, ten hours a day so that he could develop and sharpen that gift. Many of us, we have a gift. Many of us were naturally gifted at certain things, singing, this, that, but we don't put in the work in this physical three-dimensional human domain to develop that gift, to be able to operate at a high level of mastery with that gift. So, for instance, a lot of people, when they see me speak in live events, because one of my gifts is speaking, okay, in terms of live events. That's one of my passions. Uh, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's what lights me up, okay? Mm -hmm. Something I would almost do for free. But, but people say, oh, you're so amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah, but people don't realize that I've been speaking since I was age eight. People don't realize I was watching my father speak every, every few days because my father has 300 churches. People don't realize that from age 11 to age 18, almost every night I would sneak into my father's church because we lived behind my father's church. He was like, you're just gifted. Uh, maybe I was gifted with something and the seed and the potential, right? But they don't realize that from age 11 to 18, I sneak into my father's church for two, three, four hours a day, maybe six, seven hours on the weekend. And I would speak and deliver imaginary seminars to the empty chairs every single day every day for eight years so yes there's a gift but but i was delivering seminars to the empty chairs with no one around imagining people uh, in my audience speaking adding value delivering seminars every day for eight years when i hear people say well that person's just gifted they're just gifted that is a cop-out that is a cop-out because when you say mother Teresa was gifted well really uh, Mandela was gifted. Then when you say someone's gifted, then you abdicate responsibility and, 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 and you don't have to, we don't have to then really step up and put in the work to do what it takes 
to become great. Every single one of us, you have the ability inside of you. You've been given the God-given divine ability in your being as a soul to be great. What you do with that, how you implement that, how you study, how you work, the discipline, the commitment that you put in to develop that gift is now your part. We all have it inside of us. That doesn't mean Mozart didn't have something, but he also developed it. And we all have the ability to find what is our gift. And I would ask each person to sit with, what is my gift? What is my gift? What is my unique thing? What is my unique thing? Sometimes, here's the thing. Sometimes there's certain things that come so easy to us that we don't consider it a gift. We're like, ah, I'm great with numbers. Ah, I know someone amazing with numbers. Doesn't even consider it a gift. Because like, ah, that thing, anyone can do it. No, anyone can't do that. We often don't honor our own gifts. But if we don't honor and appreciate and acknowledge our gifts, how will we develop and put in the work to develop the skill to become masters at that? We all have the capacity to develop mastery. Tom Brady, okay, the, uh, the, the quarterback, right? I think you mm -hmm. all know Tom Brady. I, I've lost track of how many Super Bowls this guy has won. But people don't realize, oh, he's gifted. Well, let's look at the reality. People don't realize that he lives his entire life, entire life for football. Most people want that greatness, but they're not willing to do what it takes. Most people want the accolades and the success, but they're not willing to do what Tom Brady does. While the other players are, you know, at the club, smoking weed, hanging out, partying, what have you, drinking. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't even eat dessert. He has no sugar. His entire diet is designed to have no foods that are uh, nightshades, so no inflammation in his bones and joints, because he is that committed to being the best, to, be, to maximizing his potential. So does he have a gift? Yes, he has a gift. Has he developed the gift? Yes, he developed the gift. There are many gifted people that will be outdone, outworked, out-succeeded by people that aren't as gifted because they don't do what it takes and don't put in the work. And so I think, you know, discipline, commitment is really, really important. So let's not make the excuses. Let's all step up and realize we have the power inside of us. And let's, you know, let's go for it. Mandela, Martin Luther King, Jesus, Buddha, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Mother Teresa, to me, they were showing each and every one of us on this planet the potential, the capacity for what human beings are capable of. Mother Teresa showing us what human beings are capable of in terms of compassion and loving. Gandhi showing us what human beings are capable of in terms of peace and nonviolence. You know, uh, Martin Luther King showing us what human beings are capable of with vision. Mandela with forgiveness. If they can do it, you can do it. I can do it. We can all do it but we've got to put in the work. Are all people made or have the capacity to win? Or are some people, I mean, not everybody can rise to the top. There has to be people at the bottom too. <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing. Everyone, I think, has a unique destiny in this lifetime. Everyone has a different path. So right. I think it's important that we don't compare ourselves because not everybody will be Tom Brady because there's only one quarterback spot on each team, right? Mm -hmm. And so not everyone's going to be Tom Brady. Not everyone's meant to be Tom Brady. So we can't compare ourselves with, oh, I'm not Tom Brady. 
we have to look in our own lives and say, what is my gift? What is my path? And how can I commit to excellence to have mastery over my life to be the best me possible in my life? That's it. Rather than looking at, well, that person's doing that. And it's like, you win. What is winning? Winning. So many people won't win because they don't put in the work. Sadly, many people won't fulfill their potential because they don't put in the work. Now, we also have to step back and look at what winning is. What is winning? We think winning in our culture today, we've been conditioned to be to think winning is well when you when you win the Super Bowl, when you make the million dollars, when you do the X or the Y, when you it's winning has been has been associated with a level of achievement, success of a goal dream thing itself. But I think that's a very one dimensional uh, perspective of what winning is. We have to define and question winning itself. Winning. I believe we are ultimately multidimensional beings, that we are souls, that we incarnate into this human experience. We incarnate into this human experience to learn to grow, to evolve, to learn to grow, to evolve. And ultimately, every life is a classroom for our soul's evolution. And every single situation, every single experience, every single person, every single relationship is simply part of the, the curriculum for our soul's evolution. And so when we realize that, then ultimately, we are here to learn, to grow, to evolve, to become more of who we really are, to share our gifts with the world, and to be to love even more fully. And so I think that true success is not whether you attain the dream or don't attain the dream. True success is who you become in the process of the pursuit itself. It's not the achievement of the goal, it's who you become in the process of the pursuit itself. You become more loving. And, and also the degree to which you learn the lessons for why you attracted that situation, the degree to which you learn the lessons for why you manifested that dynamic, that relationship, that person, that fill in the blanks, that illness, what have you. Because I think in every situation, there's an opportunity to learn. Every situation, there's an opportunity to grow. Every situation is an opportunity to learn the lesson. When we learn the lesson, we grow. When we, when we truly grow and learn the lesson, then we transcend that situation. We begin to attract to ourselves different situations, different experiences to meet who we've become. To me, that's real winning. Sometimes you might stay in a relationship for 50, uh, till, for, for the rest of your life, but be miserable, not growing. Is that winning? You end up in a job where you sell your soul, betray yourself, make a gazillion dollars, but you feel terrible, depressed. Is that winning? I think winning is the courage to be who you are. Real winning is the courage to, to, to authentically express who you are. And everyone has the chance and the capacity to do that. Not everyone's going to be Michael Jackson, but not everyone's meant to be Michael Jackson. That's not our destiny. Not everyone's going to be James Brown. Not everyone's going to be the President of the United States. Not everyone's going to be, and, and we're not meant to be because we have our unique lessons in this school of life, and that's okay. Honor your path when you follow your path without trying to follow anyone else's path. When you follow someone else's path, you will always end up missing what is yours. But when you follow what's your path, authentically by feeling your soul and moving in the direction that your soul is guiding you to, you'll always be. What, will, what's, what is yours will end up always meeting you on the, in the right way at the right time because you're on your path. And what's yours will be yours. Hmm. Um, could a person not have a path? Can a person what? Not have a path. 
Well, then I think you might be dead at that point because if you're alive, if you're alive, if you're alive, you're on some path. Whether you understand the path, brother, or you don't understand the path, right? So if you're alive, you're on a path. Maybe the path won't be the path you think your path should be, and then then you go, well, I don't have a path. No, we have to give up the idea of the path we think we should be on, so that we can actually see the path we are on. Oh, I should be on Michael Jackson's path. I should be on, 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 on Bill Gates's path. I should be, you're on your path. So it's your path, whatever you want to call it, a path, a road, uh, uh, whatever, a, a lane, but it's yours. And so I think when you don't have a path, your, your time on this planet has expired. Oh, that's not good. Or maybe it is okay. It doesn't matter. Um, one of your books is about surrender. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on how um, surrendering can help people in finding their purpose? Sure. You know, I, th I think many times we have an idea of what we think we should be doing. Many times we have an idea of what we think our purpose should be. Uh, based on our conditioning, which I spoke about, based on what society tells us, our parent tells us, and so we may not be in touch with what our true purpose is instead of living someone else's version for ourselves. And so part of surrendering is to then, in terms of purpose, is to let go of the idea of the life we think we should be living so that we can allow the deeper purpose, the deeper authentic expression of our life to reveal itself through us. Just so people are clear in terms of, yes, my book is called The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go, Finding the Courage to Let Go of What's Not Real, Finding the Courage to Let Go of What's Not True, Finding the Courage to Let Go of What's Not Authentic, What's No Longer Aligned, so that you can allow for more truth to express in your life and, and, and through you. And so real surrender is to stop trying to force things to be what you think they should be. Real surrender is when you stop trying to manipulate life into your preset programmed idea of how you think it should look. Real surrender is when you uh, stop trying to like limit life and, and you know, control life so intensely that you end up limiting life. Real surrender is powerful. I believe surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. Here's the thing. The challenging thing is in our culture today, we have this idea that to surrender is passive, to surrender is weak. If you surrender, you're going to be taken advantage of, you won't get your goals, dreams, or desires, you know, you're going to be homeless, you're going to be broke, you're going to move to the Himalayas, if you surrender. And I actually believe that if you surrender, what if you got more, more than you could imagine, more joy, more love, more abundance, more prosperity, more than you could imagine. But many times we have, we have, we limit ourselves because we have these ideas of, I gotta be this, gotta do that, gotta be, my life's gotta be that, I gotta be that, gotta be, rather than say, you know what? Let me surrender, let me let go, let me allow, let me be open. Let me move from the old paradigm is where you live your life saying, what do I want? What do I want? I want this, I want that, I wanna do this, I wanna do that, I want, that's, that's the old way of living. It's an ego-based model, what do I want? I think the path of surrender is when you ask a different kind of question. <clears throat> the question you really learn to ask in the path of surrender is what is it that life is seeking to express through me? What is it that life is seeking to do through me? What is it that life is seeking to manifest through me? What is the deepest impulse, the deepest truth, the deepest impulse of what, of how life is seeking to use me and express through me and manifest through me? 
And actually then, your job is to feel that, the deepest expression, align with that, align your thoughts, your actions, your intentions with that, and then take action around that. Then we surrender, then we're truly open to a bigger purpose. And many times what, what you think your purpose is or what your real purpose is will be way more and bigger than what you can imagine with your mind because the mind, your personality, your ego is limited. So your ego mind will only see a small perspective, a small piece of the puzzle, a small, a, your ego mind is only able to see through a limited lens, which is based on conditioning. But when you truly open, say, okay, universe, I'm ready to be used. Universe, use me. Universe, I'm a vessel, I'm a vehicle. Universe, I'm open. What is it that you want to express through me? What is it that you want to do through me? Then we truly open ourselves to the infinite possibilities of life and what life what I found in surrendering is what life can do for you, what life can manifest through you is often much bigger than what you can do on your own. And so surrender is the password to freedom. And I think surrender is the key to true greatness and an and, 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 uh, unimaginable life. To me, the key is surrender at some point. All of the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Mother Teresa, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Mandela, they all had to surrender themselves to to life, to being lived by life. That's when miracles happened because they weren't doing it themselves. Life was manifesting through them. Life was doing through them. That's when the magic happened. I I know for myself, um, surrender really really starts with my thoughts. First thing I have to learn how to do is to let go of my own thinking, my own ideas, my own concepts. Because until I do that, I can't really surrender to anything else. Is that a question? Well, it, it's kind of like, like is that true? or um, <clears throat> You know, your thoughts, okay? Here's the thing. I don't think it's about letting go of your thoughts. Because you might find that the more you try to let go of your thoughts, the harder it is to let go of your thoughts. And I know a lot of people that try to let go of their thoughts and they try to let go of their thoughts and they try to let go and they have more thoughts and there's more of a struggle. And so here's the thing. Thoughts are not the issue. Let me repeat, thoughts are not the issue. If you make thoughts the issue, you give them a tremendous amount of power over you. Thoughts are not the issue. Your relationship with the thoughts are the issue. The power you give the thoughts are the issue. So I'm going to be a little extreme here and say, it doesn't really matter what you think. Because thoughts come and go. You have 65,000 thoughts a day. Most of them are bullshit. Most of them are, you know, messy. Most of them are, you know, aren't that great. And mo- most of them we don't even remember. Just thoughts <laughs> floating through. Most of them are the same as yesterday. And so thoughts on the issue. It's the importance you give them, the power you give them. But that's the key. Just because a thought is in your mind doesn't mean it's true doesn't mean it's real. And so <clears throat> the ability to step back and observe your thoughts is more important than trying to get rid of them, push, push them away. Observe the thoughts, let them flow. Mm-hmm. Realize you are not your thoughts. Right. Your thoughts aren't you. Thoughts come and go, but you don't have to force them. You don't have to not have any. Thoughts on the issue. Thoughts are just thoughts. Clouds in the sky, they will pass by. So let them pass by. Witness them, observe them, let them move. Don't have to, you don't have to engage, you don't have to fight. You can just observe. And I think that's, that's a great space to be in. But that's also surrendering. Surrender. Because you're not engaging. Surrender is sort of like not engaging. 
maybe, you know, maybe. I mean, sometimes surrender might be just to accept what is. And, and surrender may be to, surrender might mean engaging. You know, it, it, surrender might mean when you're engaging in your thoughts and you're like, oh my God, I'm in my thoughts, I'm in my thoughts, I'm in my thoughts. And you see, can't seem to get off of it. It just might mean taking a step back and rather than trying to stop engaging in your thoughts uh, is to just surrender and embrace that you're engaging in your thoughts right now. And that with, but with awareness, not unconsciously, not like as a, oh, I'm unconscious, but with total awareness of like, this is what I'm doing right now. And I hold myself with compassion. And that might be surrender. And your thoughts might continue, but you're able to just hold them in a space of loving and compassion as they just kind of do their thing. And you might find as you shift your relationship with them and they're doing their thing, then they just begin softening and the edges soften. And over time, they stop. So surrender doesn't always mean disengaging. It might mean engaging. Surrender can also in life mean engaging. It might mean having to have the conversation. It might mean stepping up and, you know, confronting someone you haven't confronted. It might mean picking up the phone and making amends with someone you hurt. It might mean, you know, getting off of the couch and going jogging and going running and losing weight. It might mean, you know, uh, 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 calling the lawyer to take someone to court. It might mean it's a surrender to the deeper truth of your being and following that, not the mind. Hmm. Wow, that was deep. <laughs> um, so, with, how do you help people find their purpose and help them get through all the bullshit like, like you talked about like the programming like how to find, you know identify the programming and but un, in undoing that programming is something else you know yeah I, I spoke about that in the beginning yeah. and I just would say people can start there as a beginning and uh, you know as we wrap the interview I would just say you know if people want to find out more about my work then they can definitely come to my website you know kublaxon.com or you know, read the book, The Magic of Surrender, or my You Are The One book, which goes much more in-depth, you know, into some things people can do. But I would just say start with where I began in the beginning of the conversation as a good place, and that might be a good place to kind of wrap things. Hmm. <clears throat> well, I have one other question now. Um, I also okay. noticed that you do, um, like, these 12-day retreats sort of things that you're doing. <laughs> like, one of them that looks like coming up is in Bali. Sure. Uh, what are those? Yeah, the twelve-day events are what I do in Bali. Some of the most powerful levels of my work, and I take people through a twelve-day deep dive, transformational, experiential journey in Bali, where I create a immersive process that is designed to help people become aware of their conditioning and also un, uh, systematically, step by step over twelve days, systematically peel away and heal and transform uh, and release the past, connect people to who they are and move them into the future. And it's really an unconditioning uh, process that, that really takes place that's very, very deep and transformative in nature. And so uh, for anyone that feels you know, moved and inspired uh, to find out more or ready for the next level, they can find out more at www.boundlessblissbali.com. 
So that's, <clears throat> those are very, very deep dives over 12 days. And uh, we go deep in, in peeling away <clears throat> layers of conditioning so that you can connect truly, not just in your mind, connect with your essence and your soul, and your soul again and live from that place. Wow. Is this sort of like a spiritual thing or is it more of a psychological or a little bit of both? You know, uh, it's a transformational process. It's a transformational process. And uh, yeah, people can find out more on my website. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on today. Um, before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? Sure, yeah. People can find out more about my work. You know, my web, a couple of websites I mentioned, www.coopblackson.com, just my name. Uh, for people that want to go to my Bali event, uh, www.boundlessblissbali.com. They can find out more there. Uh, my book is available. Books are available on Amazon. You Are the One and The Magic of Surrender, the newest book, which people are loving. And uh, just follow me on Instagram. I'm, the, on, I'm on there a lot. And Facebook, Coop Blackson. Coop Love Now. All right. I will post Thanks those so links much. in the notes to this episode, to your website, to the Bali site, and to your books on Amazon so my listeners can check you out while they're listening. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for being on today. And hang on for one moment while I played my outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, mm -hmm. I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.